hey, you're listening to Chew on That. Here's what we're chewing on today. Uh, so for the past few weeks, obviously we've been in this series where we're talking all about identity. Last week I've a- I asked the question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? We were born in Adam and so because of that we inherit his sinful nature and the separation from God that that sin creates. And so because of that, we have to be reborn in Christ. I talked about last week, in Christ is a central theme throughout the New Testament. It's a term that's mentioned 216 times. And so we don't simply live for Christ. We live in Christ. And so today I want to continue this conversation by posing another question. Uh, This one is a little bit more difficult. It's actually um, a little more intense, maybe a little more invasive depending upon what your religious or your spiritual background is. And so let's continue trying to examine this thought of who do you think you are. Hey, hi, welcome to Chew On That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm your host today for this podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the most current sermon series happening here at Life Church. Uh, and well, you'd heard Sean talk about it, how it's the who do you think you are. And so uh, joining me today is my very good friend, Tara Verhag. I never know if I'm supposed to say Verhag or if I'm supposed to say Verhag. Verhag. I'm Verhag. Yep. Because I feel like some people say Verhag. Yeah. That feels like that's how like the fancy Verhag say it. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 That's so fantastic. Anyway, so, um, hey, so Tara is my friend and she's, uh, um, she partners with me not only um, on my business, but also uh, in the efforts that we're making at LC downtown, uh, the unchurch. And so she's like, she does all the things. I'm really just the face. I'm like a, what's it called when someone is just like a figurehead? I feel like I'm just a figurehead in all that. Like, I feel like you actually are the one that does all the work. But um, anyway, uh, tell us a little bit about you that people may not know you. Just like, what's your life in a snapshot? Sure. So I am married to my husband, Nick. Uh, we've been married for ooh, nine years now. <gasps> You're <Yep>. so old. <laughs> um, we have two kids. Um, uh, Emmett is eight and Scarlett is four. Um, so besides doing stuff for you, um, for your photography business and for Life Church downtown, I also have my own small business of knitting and crocheting um, handmade goods. So What's the name of that business? That's the Verhag Homestead. <gasps> not not the Verhag Homestead. No. They have fancier things. They do, over yes. there. <laughs> That's super funny. Tara's fantastic. If you don't know Tara, you need to find out who Tara is and spend some time with Tara because I don't know a brighter light in our community. And so she's fantastic. But today we're going to talk about Sean's message on who do you think you are. So let's just jump right in and uh, and listen to that first, uh, that first soundbite. What do you think of when I say the word saint? When I say saint, I wonder, do you think of you? That's really what we're gonna talk about today. And for some of you, I think a wall instantaneously went up. But when you ask the question, who do you think you are? Paul, in this book to his friends in the city of Ephesus, he says clearly, you should answer, I am a saint. Then it almost makes you cringe. It almost seems like a bit of sacrilege and yet, Yet the Apostle Paul, the author of half of the New Testament, Saint Paul the Apostle, (laughs) when writing this letter to his friends at the Church of Ephesus, what we would now call the Book of Ephesians, he starts with these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by will of God to the saints 
who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read that and I go, hmm, the saints who are in Ephesus. Like, were these people perfect? Were there no bad people in the church of Ephesus? Were they, were they not like us? Were there no gossipers? Were there no backbiters? Were there no adulterers or porn addicts or hate mongers? Were there no people who were arrogant? Did no one have a mean, spiteful spirit? Like, were they all kind, gentle, loving people who only listened to worship music and played the harp while speaking words of encouragement to everyone? <laughs> I go, are you kidding me? This was a church filled with people, people who were, who were new, people like a lot of you who were new believers, but they came from Jewish or pagan backgrounds and were still steeped in their own traditions. And yet Paul, Saint Paul, calls them saints. Sorry, that was a long soundbite. If you're still with us, we'll start talking about that. I just, I liked everything he said in that clip and I, didn't, I couldn't figure out where I would stop his speaking. Mm-hmm. But like, certainly like what he said resonated with me because when, when I, to call myself a saint, that feels like sacrilege. That feels like haughtiness. That feels like I think more of myself than I really am. And it's a big deal, like especially around here where there's like a zillion Catholics and Lutherans where sainthood is a thing thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're not all a collection of saints. You know, and so like even like when I think about like that song, there was a song. It's a jazz song. When the saints go marching in, yes. right? Like in my head as a kid coming up Catholic, I thought that that meant you know like just the saints, like Saint Paul and Saint Joseph and Saint Jehoshaphat and Saint you know Teresa of Avila, right? Like I'll, I thought that's though when those saints go marching in. But in fact, when when Scripture talks about saints, he's talking about all of us, how we're all saints. Right. You know, and that's more prevalent certainly in the, you know, sort of Protestant evangelical world than it is in the Catholic world. But like, it's it's such a weird thing, but we have to start identifying that, you know, mm-hmm. of ourselves in that way. You know, it's, it's part of our inheritance, right? It is, yeah. And I think it's so easy to where we, like you said, you don't want to seem like you're full of yourself and say that and you want to connect with people. So you're like, yeah, I'm totally a sinner, like, you know, saved by grace. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of saying that, but we need to remember who we are. Yeah. So, and walk in that as opposed to walking and being a sinner. Right. And whose we are, right? Right. Like it's because we belong to him that we can call ourselves saints. Exactly. We think we can, people will call us from saints because of the process that of what they've done Mm -hmm. i earned this to be a saint i was good enough i did great things or i made miracles happen or you know whatever you know i sweat blood or something you know we think these are the things and so it's by this accomplishment that we're saints it's got nothing to do with us that all of us if left to our own devices or left to our own accomplishments we could only consider ourselves sinners you know yep and so and that's what's that's what's so much of the good news like i feel like that's all that stuff is possible when we think so little of ourselves that you know well everyone just sees us that way when in fact the one person that matters doesn't see us that way at all god sees us as being saints you know even though he knows that we continue to make mistakes all the time right yeah yeah that's good Like, I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. We live in our past mistakes and our past regrets. And and rather than what Pastor Ruben talked about, how Jesus looked at that woman and he said, go into peace. Some of y'all need to get out of mistakes and out of regrets and get into the peace that surpasses all understanding. But your identity isn't being in a sin, in being a sinner. 
The Bible doesn't speak about people who are in Christ as sinners ever, not once. Now, 300 times the Bible talks about people being sinners, but all 300 of those times, the people that it speaks of are not in Christ. They haven't exchanged their identity for the identity of Christ. It sees those who are in Christ positionally as saints. It sees people who are not positionally in Christ as sinners. And so if you are in Christ, you, you are not a filthy, wicked, vile sinner who's been forgiven. You are a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity, a new biography. You have a new eternity. And yet some of you, you walk around and you say these words. And I used to say it when I was a new believer. I used to say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I mean, you need to take them words out your mouth. This kind of reminds me, was it a couple weeks ago? We're remixing the Moore series uh, downtown at Unchurch, and we were talking about how the price that, that Jesus paid on the cross, on Calvary, that gave us new labels, that gave us a new inheritance, that gave us a new criminal record, right? Where there wasn't a criminal record, right? right. And so we got to stop carrying that around. And like, because like how we see ourselves or how we label ourselves, that's how we conduct everything. At Alpha last night, I was sitting at our table, and um, someone was asking me why I wasn't eating. I said, I'll eat when everyone else eat. And so they thought I was being noble, meaning I'm the host. And so like, I shouldn't eat. But I, I said, well, actually, it's just because like, I don't want to, I don't ever want to be seen as like the big giant fat guy that's getting food from the buffet. And like other people get up there and there's no food left. And like, oh, nice. Look at the fat guy got all the, you know what I mean? And like, that's a label that was put on me, mm-hmm. you know, that either by somebody else or that I reinforced by myself that that's now how I operate in every moment of my life is, you know, as a fat guy. Yeah. And like, and the people around me were like, what are you even talking about right now? But like, I don't know, that's just, that's part of my label. And so the same thing is true about if I see myself as a failure or as perpetually broken or unworthy or a sinner, everything I do, every way that I operate is going to come from that space. Yeah. You know? And... Like God's like, there. Um, it reminds me. There's a a T-shirt that I saw that says, um, "I got 99 problems, but Romans 8 one," which <laughs> is funny because it's, instead of ain't one, it says Romans 8 one, and Romans 8 one, of course, says, "Those who belong to Christ Jesus are no longer under God's judgment, are no longer condemned, are no longer you know are no longer regarded as sinners." And so, like, I love that. Yeah. So, like, anyone that belongs to Christ no longer can be called a sinner. And that's a verse that I don't know if we just skip over it or we don't believe it or we think it's just a nicety, but I feel like it changes my perspective on how I'm going to act. My brother always says, you know, people will do what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. And so if you express expectations that are low or expectations that are limited, they're going to live into that. You know, they're going to, like they say in sports, they're going to play to the level of their competition. Mm -hmm. But like, if I look at myself in such a way, um, uh, if I look at myself in such a way that I'm a saint, then there's a different level of expectation. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? No, I definitely agree. I think this message was um, kind of, a sh- like you said, a shift in my perspective as to how I do identify myself and um, looking at myself as that saint. And it's, like Pastor Sean alluded to, difficult, especially for me. I grew in my church background, grew up Catholic. So saints was like, it was a thing, yeah. you know, like yep. that's not something that everybody just had. So 
to listen to this message on Sunday and sit back and be like, holy cow, I am a saint. It's just, it's kind of, it was like a mind blowing moment. Yep. And um, like he said, you know, some people might put up walls, but I was, you know, I tried to remain open to it because that's freeing. There's like, yeah. there's so much freedom in that, that I'm not confined and condemned by my past and my sins, but that I can go ahead and I can be a saint and I can live up to that label as opposed to all the other labels, like you were saying, that anybody gives me or I've given myself or imagined. Right. So. Yeah. I, you know, I was talking to a guy uh, last night and we were talking about kind of this topic about how, if, if I can regard myself as a saint like God does, that means that I don't need to worry about failure or my image mm-hmm. should something fall apart. Right. Yeah. He was talking about how like he really just feels like he's meant to be a leader, like a f- like a leader in faith, a leader for Christ, a leader you know in the community to make a difference for Jesus. And he's like, but I just like I just I, I'm having a hard time sorting it out and getting all the plan together. And like, I don't know that you're supposed to get the plan together. I don't know that you're supposed to be worried about failing. Certainly, you shouldn't be r- reckless. Right. I mean, like, as long as it you feel like it lines up with the, your spirit, right? If you believe that the spirit's in you and it, you, it aligns with your spirit, it aligns with God's word, and it aligns with God's heart that might be displayed by your friends or whatever, as long as all those things line up, then run. Like, just right. go start running, you know? And if it falls apart, it falls apart, but that's not on you. Right. It's like, oh, God gave me this opportunity and I failed him. Like, as long as we're running in God's heart or with God's heart and under God's label, it, then we're running under his protection and failure or success doesn't matter in either regard. Right. Like we can't lay claim to the failure any more than we can lay claim to the success. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, he happened to be a guy that was like a really big dude in not big dude, but like a big deal in high school at, what did he say? Hurley? Anyway, maybe it was Hurley. And apparently the nickname for the Hurleys is the midgets. And I was like, really? That. that doesn't seem like, I don't think you really want to be a big man on campus if you're the, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he, was, he kept on trying to go back to that. And I'm like, all those things are because that's your jersey in the trophy case, or it's mm-hmm. your name on that board that says you got the best thing at this. Or like, once we're gods, it's got nothing to do with our name. Yep. You know? And there might be side benefits to pursuing that. Like, maybe, like, God will have your life bear fruit, but it's got nothing to do with what you've done. Yeah. And so, neither, again, neither the success nor the failure can be attributed to you, right? And know that you're just chasing after God. And so, there's plenty of people in the Bible that were chasing after God. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they had the right heart, they had the right spirit, and they failed. But then nothing, that didn't say that they failed, it's just that the thing failed, but that that doesn't get hung on you. Right. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a failure that you have to wear. It, that reminds me of the book that we're reading for staff, The Naked and Unafraid. Yes. Of We just talked about this, of how um, we also often think like God gives us either yes or no answers. You know, it's like one or the other, A or B, that's the right. only choice you get. Um, and in the book, it talks about how it's more of like a circle and like God's ideas are in there and the options are in there. And we just have to kind of pick a route and go that way and try it out. And like you were saying, God's not going to be mad if it, that route fails because right. some of the stuff, free choice, is out of our control. Things aren't going to go with the way that we plan. But if we're in that circle of God's will, right. then ultimately it will work. Yeah. Yeah. It's non-binary. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not either on or off. And so if it failed, that meant that I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. Right. And so like, if we feel like we've got this choice, like I feel like these are my choices and one's God's will and one's not God's will. And I'm waiting for God to tell me which one's his will. I don't believe it. Well, again, if you're lined up with him in your heart and in your spirit and in the word, then go. Yeah. Like there's not just one answer. You know what right. I mean? And I love that. Again, there's even more liberty and more freedom in that. Yeah. You know? 
And so that's how we're supposed to be pursuing the kingdom, not, you know, not to not fail and not to win, just right. to work for the king, excuse me, work for the kingdom. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Saints sin. Every one of the 10,000 saints in the cards they have, they all sinned. They all made mistakes, including Paul. And he talks about it extensively throughout the book of Romans. And then he summarizes it when he writes a letter to his friend Timothy. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But he's not identifying with that because our identity isn't in our sin. It's in our Savior. When we come to Christ, he, he made us genuinely new. But he didn't make us completely new. Now, there's a process uh, called progressive sanctification. And in this concept of progressive sanctification, you are continually growing and changing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been saved 25 years. I still have struggles. I still have things that I wrestle with. But here's the thing. I don't wrestle with the same things I wrestled with 25 years ago. Yeah. I keep going back to the same conversation that I had last night. So this guy was talking about another guy that he had that he's, that he feels convinced is meant for so much more, but he keeps laying claim to his achievements. And then he talks about how he just can't seem to get on the right track as far as God goes. And I was, as I was thinking through that, I kind of thought about Sean's message because I feel like, you know, sometimes we think about our journey as directions. Like I need to get from here to there. And so to get there, I'm going to put that into my ways and I'm going to, you know, go down this street and then take a left and then get on the highway and head north and then get off of this exit and then turn right. And like, that's the destination. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that God necessarily, at least not in my life anyway, has shown me like, these are the directions on how to get there. He said, here's your course. Yep. And course is a different sort of thing. Like when you think about ships or planes, like they, they don't, they don't, they don't go to like that one cloud and then turn right until they, you know, hit the sun. And then they, you know, they, God says, set your course to this. Mm -hmm. And then you follow that course. And now this process of sanctification, this ongoing sanctification is like sometimes by the circumstances in our life, bad decisions on our own or bad decisions by other people or just whatever life happens. And sometimes we can get nudged off of course. Mm -hmm. And so like, I might be headed, you know, due North, but like, because of life, I might get bumped a couple degrees. And now, you know, if I stay bumped, that course will diverge from God's course over time and get further and further, further away. Right. But the closer I am to God, the, the easier it is for me to course correct and say, oh my gosh, I'm not headed north anymore. I'm just going to bring that back a little bit. And now I'm headed north again. Mm -hmm. And that's the sanctification for me. Like that's what that looks like. Cause it doesn't, again, it's not binary. It's not like this is right or wrong. And once you're wrong, you're always wrong. Mm -hmm. That's so limiting, but that's how I was raised. You know, like, well, you better get yourself to confession right now because you're, if you die right now, before you get to confession, you're going to go straight to hell. Right. Well, my, that's a lot of pressure to carry around pressure yeah. that I wasn't. In fact, that I'm not equipped as a human being, as a son of Adam, that I'm not equipped to even handle. Right. Like I'm not, I can't, I'm not equipped. So no wonder why everyone feels like they're failing at their faith. Yeah. Like, like, oh my gosh, what a miserable thing. Yeah. Kind of going along with your analogy of like the course correction. I've heard, I think it was in Alpha where they talk about God's like a GPS and he's like an infinitely patient right. GPS. And so, yeah, he's telling you, you know, this is the way I'd like you to go. But then when you do something and you 
take a left instead of taking a right, he's reroutes. Right. Yep. You know, so he gets you back on track. Yeah. Recalculating. Recalculating. <laughs> so that that patience that he has for us and that grace that he has for us in our journey towards sanctification is just amazing. Right. So like you know, continuing your GPS illustration. If you're driving somewhere and you make a wrong turn or miss a turn and the GPS says, yeah, you, you missed your turn. Like you, it's not like you would turn around and just go home then. Like you right. wouldn't give up on the whole trip because you just made one wrong turn or run, you know, missed exit or opportunity. Like it'd be like, okay, here's the way back onto the course, mm-hmm. you know? And so like faith is the same way. Like we're all missing exits. We're all skipping turns. We're all turning the wrong way because, oh my gosh, there's a McDonald's right there and I need a Diet Coke. Yeah. And so we're going to get there, but then there's no on-ramp from that exit. Now what do I do? Well, you're not going to turn around and go home. You're going to, you know, well, yeah. let's find the next on-ramp. And so that's the way it is with our faith. There's just constant on-ramps, on-ramp after. When I was in uh, France a few years ago, nope, a long time ago, we went to France. Uh, when Kate and I got engaged and we were on our way uh, from Germany to Paris and um, their exits aren't like our exits. Like their exit is just an exit, man. There's no way back on. So if you take an exit, you can't get back on. So like you've, I don't even know how you get <laughs> back on. All the signs are in French, so who would even know? Right. So, but like God's not like that. God's not like the highways in France. Like it's He's like there's just one on ramp after another. He's just waiting for you to come back, mm-hmm. and we need to claim that and not give up because our hope isn't in ourselves and our ability to find the right way. Our hope is in fact in Him and His ability to show us the way. Yep. See that play out in this beautiful story in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness so he could fast and pray for 40 days. And in that time, in those 40 days, Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And when Satan tempted Jesus, he spoke directly to Jesus' identity. He says, if you are the Son of God, because at the root of all temptation is a question of our identity. But Jesus ends the encounter with Satan by using an identity statement as well. Maybe you've never read it this way. He looks at the enemy and he says, you shall not put the Lord God to a test. Watch. He wasn't saying that they shouldn't put the Lord God to a test. He was telling Satan he shouldn't put the Lord God to a test. We talk a lot here at Life Church about this idea that Satan's tools, Satan's tactics, um, yeah, they're not like, they're not physical in nature, that really his greatest tool, his greatest tactic is to cause us to question where we're at or Mm -hmm. who we are in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so like, even in this example that he gives of Jesus in the wilderness, you know, he's like constantly challenging Jesus. Like if, well, if you're really who you say you are, you know, then this, you know, and so like trying to get Jesus to doubt who he is, Mm -hmm. you know, and prove it. Okay, well, I'll prove it to you Then I'll do this. And then like say like, ha ha ha, I tricked you. Right. Like that's how he operates. And if he operates that way with Jesus, why would he not operate that way with us? And so, and and like certainly Satan, as we understand him anyway, like he would have known who Jesus was. Like they would have been like, I don't know, classmates in heaven. I don't know if they went to school together, but like, I feel like, you know, they were contemporaries, right? Cause he was like the lead singer, right? Of the heavenly band, you know? And so he was one that split. So he knows who Jesus is. So Mm -hmm. if he says, if you're really the son of God, then this. And so, you know, he does the same thing to us. Like if there's really, you know, if God really loves you, then do this because you'll be this. Or, you know, like, did God really say this or say that? And so that's the way that Satan tempts us. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's what's really going to be the downside if you do this? Yeah. Is anyone even going to know that you're doing this? You know, mm-hmm. 
I just had a conversation last night um, with somebody. They had come down to downtown church for the first time this past weekend. And um, you had mentioned something about like preparing for battle or being ready for attacks. Um, and so she asked, she's like, well, are you guys like, really like who's fighting you? You know, <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not like a, like a physical fight. She's like, Oh, I thought like you were like turf warring with like another local That's church. Super funny. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not like that. It's a spiritual warfare. So I had like went through that with her and like explained it to her that the enemy Satan, he uses these things to come after us when we're trying to do God's good work. And that I think that what Sean said at the root of all temptations is a question of your identity. So who's whose are you yeah and so to kind of get in there and he for me especially it's all like the mind games like you know he just plants that little seed in your head and then you just start chewing on it and it rolling over and, and then all of a sudden like half an hour later you're thinking all these thoughts and you're like where did this even come from yeah. Yeah. and so being aware of that and being prepared for that in those seasons with having scripture that like Jesus did, he answered with scripture. So being prepared for that with that scripture so that you can be like, nope, you know, not to be cliche, but not today's Satan. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then speak the truth over that situation. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what we were talking about was like how, you know, like if you think about like uh, movies about battle, whether it's like world war two or medieval or, fictional like when they're not in battle and they show all these guys they're like together and they're like sharpening their weapons and they're like making new arrows and yep. they're you know repairing their shields or whatever and so we're not always in battle right against the enemy but when we're not that's when we need to take choices to I can either repair my shield or you know make new arrows or I could watch Netflix mm -hmm. and get another episode of succession in or whatever yeah and so we were talking about how use that opportunity to pour into yourself what you'll need when there is battle. Yep. So like we, we see that as spending time in the word, spending time with Jesus friends, right? Spending time in prayer and meditation, because those are the things that will equip us when the battle does come up, not yep. against another church, yeah. <laughs> but like against the enemy, right? Cause that's yeah. what Jesus did. Yeah. Cause when, when Satan said, if you are the son of God, then this, and then Jesus would say it is written, right? Mm -hmm. So he would say, you know, here in the Bible, it says, and he, the, Satan knows the Bible as well as you do. So he's like, it's written here that it says that. And we, he wouldn't be able to say that if he didn't know the Bible. And so right. if you're under attack and you're like, I wonder what the Bible would say about this. Well, again, maybe like only watch two episodes of a show and maybe take that third episode and read some in the word because it's, it's so valuable to us mm -hmm. to, to meet life where life comes at us, yeah. you know? Cause the fact is they both knew who Jesus was. And the enemy knows who you are too. The question is, do you? See, once you know who you are in Christ, you'll know what to do for Christ. But if you primarily identify as a sinner, then when you're tempted to sin, you'll automatically determine, well, I'm just a sinner, so I guess I might as well go on and sin. But that's not who you are. So stop when you're being tempted to sin, acting like you're just a dirty old sinner saved by grace. When you are tempted to sin, you need to say, uh-uh, play, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint because your identity will naturally determine your activity. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he was fired up. He really was. He was, there was a lot of shouting on yes. Sunday. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Like, gets people's attention, right? Yeah. Like. But like, I feel like he just recapped what we had said mm -hmm. earlier about like living up to our expectations, mm -hmm. you know? And that's another reason why I feel like it's such a big deal to surround yourself with people that not just love you, but love Jesus. Yeah. Like it's easy to find people who love you, I think. Maybe sometimes not even that. But if you're surrounding yourself with people that are, 
crappy people, you know, then they're going to help you identify as less than. They're going to help you identify as a sinner. They're going to help you, like, keep your expectations low. Mm -hmm. Because if you start raising your expectations to be more in Christ, then that means you're passing them up or you're getting further ahead than they are. And no one wants that. No one wants their friends to get... I had breakfast with a dude today. Um, He uh, scored this really big business deal, like a half a million dollar deal. And so he was really excited about it. And I was excited about it for him. But there's another friend of his he was sharing with me that was like really frustrated at him. Like, oh, I can't believe that happened to you. Right? And like... Like, I, I mean, that guy's worth saving. Like, he's worth talking to. That relationship is worth saving. But, like, that's our reaction for the most part. When someone else succeeds, we resent them. Like, why didn't yeah. I get that? How come I don't get that? Yeah. You know? And that's, those are the kind of people that if we were surrounding ourselves with, we got to stop surrounding ourselves with those people. I guess we don't have to, like, you know, erase them. Mm-hmm. But we for sure can't spend our time with them because they'll just they'll hold us back and they'll keep our expectations for ourselves low. Like, I just feel like there's, 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 there's going to be a community of people that love you and love Jesus and, and together, right. All the boats will rise like a rising tide raises all boats. And so like, if you're in low tide with your friends in your life, find new people, Mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like that's such a critical thing. Cause I don't know, like they talk about how I think pastor Sonny said that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with and people argue that, but I feel like there's a great deal of truth to that. And so if you're doing that, if you're like, you know, if you look at your five friends, you're like, oh, like this isn't who I wanted to be at 30 or 35 or 40 or 50. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to be this. And you look around, this is who you're surrounded with. Well, change the scenery. Right. Because the chances are you're not going to be able to change five people, but you can start with yourself and find five new people. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's kind of the way that would work out. That's kind of how that math works. Yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, I was going to say... Kind of along those lines too, like we get caught up in comparison, right? Even if we have really great Jesus friends, we can still be like a tool, another tool that the enemy uses is that comparison. So I can be like, oh, my five best friends might be great Jesus people, but when they go on vacation and they're Mm. like on the beach for a week and a half and I'm sitting there on Facebook going, you know, like we have to be mindful of that too. So yeah, making sure that we don't fall into that trap as well. For sure. Because like, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that says we're ever supposed to compare ourselves to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, you can write me Scott at lifechurchgb.com If you know someplace, I just don't think there is a place that says that mm-hmm. because the, the, that goes back to things that we talk about how that's using the, the world as a measuring stick of what success or happiness looks like. Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to do that. You know, sure. There are Jesus people that get to go to Disney world two times a year. Right. But, and then there's like, not just people that get to do that too. Right. So it's not a fair, you know, like, why does God bless them so much more? Why do they have a brand new car? And I've got like an 18 year old car. Yeah. You know, like there's not, we're not supposed to do any of that. That if in fact our course is set by God and we're following that course, like there's no room in, in our heads or in our hearts to say, why don't I have this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's just no room for that. If your pursuit is God, then, you know, he, at least for me anyway, he constantly reminds me that I'm his. He constantly mm-hmm. reminds me that I'm doing enough. And then when I start feeling like I'm out enough, then he drops me stuff. Like this week, a friend of mine texted me something that she had written along last year about like, you know, something about me, right? Good words about me. And words are a thing for me. Like that's one of my love languages. I feel like I'm quintilingual. <laughs> like I feel like I'm like all the love languages. But like she had, she, like out of the blue, she sent that. And I was feeling crappy about myself. And like, it was so great to hear that. And so, 
Did she send me that? Yep, for sure. She sent me that. Did like what made her send that? I don't know. But right. like for me, I do know. I know that God's like, hey, buddy, like it's fine. It's fine. You're great. You're yeah. so great. Here's the here's this thing as a reminder. Like, and not just this person thinks that. I think this about you. So right. much so that I'm having this chick, she's gonna send it to you on my behalf. Cause I don't know if God has a Facebook account or a text <laughs> number, but like I know for sure that it gets sent to me that way. Right. So anyway. It was a good message this week. It's going to be available on YouTube and other places for you to, like you should totally not miss this message. It's definitely worth listening to. And in fact, you should always uh, try to make it a practice. Like if you are a normal life church person and uh, are, are here for the messages, like these chew on that's are not great because we're on it, but it's great because it's good to hear what other people have to say about something you know, like about a message rather than just like trying to absorb the message and decide on the message yourself. It's so good to hear other people's input, mm -hmm. you know, as far as how they saw it or what they heard, because there might be something you missed. Like maybe you were right. writing something down and you missed something else, you know? And in fact, that's at the very heart of Life Church Downtown, uh, the unchurch about how like we do the message together, but then we sit at a table and we talk about the message mm -hmm. before we even leave. Because like, I, I want to, I want to dig into it. Like, I don't want to leave and hope that I remember it. Right. You know, and so always find a way that you can make that happen for yourself. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you would um, a rate and review, chew on that on any one of your favorite podcast platforms or share it with a friend to let them know, hey, you guys got to totally listen to this podcast because it's really, really good. The more rates, reviews and shares that we get, the more people that get to see it and uh, the more people that can go deeper into who they are in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us this time on Chewing That. My name was Scott Eastman. That's my friend, Tara Verhaeg. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time.